The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. Our guest today is Emily Murphy, Administrator of the General Services Administration. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us on AI Today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Welcome, Emily. We're so excited that you were able to join us. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners, tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at GSA. So I've spent most of my career working on how the government can do a better job buying goods and services, whether it was as a staffer for congressional committees, working for federal agencies, practicing government contracts law, or working for a startup company that was trying to sell new technology to the government. In December 2017, though, the U.S. Senate confirmed me to be the GSA administrator, and I was given the opportunity to sort of walk my talk and implement the many ideas and goals that I'd had over the years on how the government can do a better job. So while a lot of people think of GSA as the real estate people, which is fair, we manage about 370 million square feet of office space. We also handle about $75 billion in contracts for goods and services each year. And over a third of that spending is for IT and related services. And I'm proud to share that in the past Almost three years, while I've been the GSA administrator, we produced more than $20.3 billion in savings and cost avoidance for our customer agencies. Uh, We've also, and I'm going to brag a little bit because I am so proud of the people I work with at GSA. We've launched our Federal Marketplace Initiative, which makes it easier to buy solutions like AI using GSA, easier to sell uh, to other federal agencies, and easier to manage you know, these enormous contracting opportunities, which really has meant that GSA's contracting has gone up 36% from $55 billion when I took over to $75 billion a year um, in fiscal year 20. At the same time, we've reduced our leased footprint by 4.7 million square feet, and we have the highest customer, vendor, tenants, uh, and employee satisfaction ratings uh, in the history of the agency right now. Yeah, that's that's really impressive. I think you know people people know that in America, the United States, the federal government in particular, is is definitely one of the the largest buyers of products and services across the board, especially even in any category. You look at you know technology in particular, and and the government, and you know I think that's that's a really powerful thing because the as you know the economy and everything is really moving the, towards information technology and making better use of of data. And, and, and of course, AI and artificial intelligence, you know, the whole focus of this podcast really plays a big role there. We're trying to get more value from that data and try to extract more uh, capability. So uh, maybe you can see across all of GSA's uh, operations what they're doing. You know, how do, how do you see AI helping with GSA's mission? So GSA has the same problem that most private sector companies have. We have lots of work more than our workforce, which is about 11,000 employees, can handle. Uh, and we also found that a lot of the, the time that our employees were using was done on was being spent on low-value work. We had processes that existed because we'd always done things that way. 
or and we got a new system to replace an old system, we just program the new system to automate the old process without rethinking whether or not that there was any value in that process or whether we could the process was one we wanted or needed or or whether it could evolve. AI and technology are really letting us shift from that low value work to high value work. And I'll give you maybe an, a, a few examples. Um, GSA's largest contracting vehicle has 60 million items on it. And we have to review and validate those items on a, you know, to figure out whether or not they pose supply chain risks, uh, to make sure that we're appropriately representing where they were built, to make sure that the, that the uh, description of them is correct. And if you can imagine you know, employees sitting around reading 60 million descriptions and trying to go and validate them, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's not a good use of people's time. We have uh, a made in, I'm sorry, made in America RoboMod that now does it for us and saves countless hours. Similarly, we have what we call our Truman 2.0 bot, and it pre-populates our price negotiation models so that we take information that we have from other sources and we put that into a memo so that a contracting officer doesn't have to start from, you know, from ground zero every time that the, you know, they are looking at and assessing a new vendor. They can take the data that we already have, bring it together and have it ready to help them make those better decisions. We just in this past year had a challenge where uh, for our leases, and we've got about 7,500 leased buildings. We had to, we were required by Congress to go in and modify those leases to put some requirements around technology that exists in those, in those buildings. But we didn't have a contract writing system that would let us bilaterally mod, modify those contracts. So it was going to mean that each and every one of those was going to require a contracting officer to put together the paperwork, send it to someone at the company. They were going to have to take it, modify it, send it back to us, and then have GSA sign it again. Instead, they were able to put a, a you know a bot in place that did it for us, and that meant we could do it in a matter of minutes rather than in, in you know hours, and it kept federal employees safer and federal data safer as a result. So AI, looking across um, you know the agency, it's it's helping us how we um, we pilot how we hire, and it saved us a lot of time and money. We've got about 70 bots that are currently in operation, which has saved about 260,000 hours of work, which is worth roughly about $35 million. And that's ongoing savings. But when I go back to that idea that we you, AI was more than just taking what we did and doing it electronically or using artificial intelligence to do it. Uh, one of the things I have to give credit to our chief financial officer and the deputy administrator, when they looked at how we could use AI, they said, first, we're going to, in each and every case, look at whether or not we can eliminate the process uh, overall. We call this our EOA process. Can we eliminate it? And if not, then let's optimize it. And then let's look at whether or not AI or machine learning or robotics process automation could be used to make it better. Uh, and it, Another example would be GSA, you know, we've got buildings all across the country and we have to buy utilities. Um, and in some areas, there's only one provider of electricity, but the requirements we had said that we had to go out 
on a regular basis and try and recompete and see if we could find someone else to sell us electricity. And that was taking time from uh, from both GSA employees and, frankly, from the utility companies who couldn't figure out why we couldn't figure out that, that they were the regulated entity. Um, instead, we were able to go in and eliminate that change, but then take it and say, all right, now that we've eliminated that, let's instead use those contracting officers to try and get better deals in the buildings. And let's instead take the utility data we have and instead of billing our customers for their regular utilities and their overtime utilities, let's put it together into one bill. So we got rid of an antiquated bureaucratic process that wasted time and replaced it with one that allowed uh, the government to you know, use its employees to find better deals for taxpayers. Right now, one of the areas that we're sort of excited about is we just released a guide on how to use AI to do regulatory reform work um, using GSA contracts. So it, how do we help agencies reduce duplicative and outdated regulations? And we're using communities of practice across government to help other agencies as they're trying to go down the same journey. You know, we always love hearing about this because I think that a lot of different agencies and groups within the government are doing some incredible things, and we need to continue to highlight and showcase what you're doing. I think that private industry can learn from what the government is doing, as well as other folks within the government as well. So I, mean, I know that these were just a few of the uh, cases that you've highlighted, but we love hearing about this, so much so that about a year and a half, two years ago, we started running the monthly AI and government meetup where we would have various folks from all levels of government come and present on what they're doing around artificial intelligence, automation, and cognitive technologies. So, you know, we continue to love love to hear this. And for our listeners that are not familiar with it, go to AIandgovernment.com. We run it monthly. It's now virtual. So we encourage you to, um, to attend that. Emily, I know that during your time at the GSA, you helped launch the Centers of Excellence program, and we've been fortunate enough to have some folks from the Centers of Excellence on various podcasts or Forbes articles or at some of our conferences. But for our listeners that are not familiar with what the COE does, can you explain what it is and how it's helping advance the use of data? So I, this is one that I'm very excited about. Um, when I was the senior advisor at GSA, when I was waiting to be confirmed as the administrator, one of the areas I got to spend time looking at was how GSA could better manage the intersection between contracting and tech innovation. So we went and we worked with the Office of American Innovation at the White House, and we launched the first Center of Excellence in late 2017. We went into uh, USDA first, and we now have over a dozen Centers of Excellence uh, at agencies across the government. Last week, we announced our latest partnership, which was with the Library of Congress and their U.S. Copyright Office. And I always think it's a good sign if Congress is willing to buy from the executive branch, uh, it means we've done something right. But the Centers of Excellence teams provide uh, technical expertise in support of cloud adoption, contact centers, customer experience, data analytics, infrastructure optimization, and artificial intelligence. Um, and as they've continued to grow and we keep adding new agencies, uh, artificial intelligence was actually the last of these centers of excellence that we added. It was about a year ago. And 
when we brought it in, we, we wanted to be really careful about doing so, make sure we had the right people and we also had the right customer. But And what we were able to do was partner with the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, which is part of the Department of Defense. And we've been helping them build out AI across the department. One of the first things we did with them was actually work on assisting in humanitarian responses to disasters. And so what AI can do in the first five minutes after a disaster. So how do we use AI to improve lives and save lives? But since then, we've been able to continue working with them on building you know, an underlying uh, partnership that's going to last at least another year um, where we're bringing you know, better technologies because we use government-wide through using our contracts. Uh, we recently awarded, I think, an $800 million task order through one of GSA's large contracts, which is Alliance 2, that has the ability to do AI, uh, do, do awards for the enable AI, and it's letting us do uh, support a wide spectrum of services and products across the Joint Warfighter National Mission Initiative. And as a result of this, it means that Jake, that Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, is able to rapidly implement government-tailored solutions um, to AI initiatives uh, they've got a joint common foundation to accelerate and scale scale AI across the department, and that we're getting much more effective key AI activities in place uh, while you know operating in a very ethical, transparent, and explainable way as we adopt AI within the department. I know in the last year we've designed an agile AI uh, acquisition process for uh, for the Department of Defense. And you know, we've been the working with them on this, the, as I said, the Joint Common Foundation, but also working with them on, you know, a task order that four months ago allowed for um, it, an award fee determination board to make sure that they're actually doing their contracting better, and that allowing them to test out weapon systems before they deploy them. So, so they are able to do a concept to product roadmap um, using their AI workforce development model. So it's it just it we're seeing so much come out of this partnership with the Department of Defense through the centers of excellence. Yeah, that's and the, this I mean, and that's just one center of excellence in the government. Yeah, exactly. You know, we we've been keeping an eye on that. I, th- I think that is important because, you know. Um, the there's a lot of challenges to making technology work just in general. I mean, if you look at sort of, you know, across across every industry, you know, whether it's, you know, insurance or banking or healthcare, retail, manufacturing, right? Um, but but within the government, you know, not only do you have to, um, you know, keep pace with with the, the 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 pace of technology change, which which just continues to accelerate. I mean, that's sort of the the crazy thing about technology, you can never really sit still. And of course, you have to deal with all sorts of things. You know, not only do you have to make functionality work, you have to deal with emerging cybersecurity challenges, you have to deal with data issues and privacy issues and transparency and and all that. But of course, also, you know, the government needs to 
have uh, access to resources, you know, personnel, people, t- skilled talent, you know, and you have to deal with that and compete with the uh, private sector in some cases to, to find that talent. So it's always always a bit of a challenge. And of course, we're always demanding, you know, as sort of uh, citizens, you know, p- participants in the in, in the world, we're, we're demanding that our governments, you know, uh, be responsive, you know, whether it's, you know, we want services to deliver, be delivered, you know, at a faster rate, we want to be able to use whatever technology we have, you know, we don't want to be waiting in line. Maybe we want to do things online or, you know, use mobile devices, <laughs> you know. So it's kind of funny. We're, we're, we're all sort of, you know, accelerating uh, this together. And so, so it is a challenge. And I, and I think the Centers of Excellence is one of those ways to help, you know, uh, cross-communicate and share what different agencies are doing that could sort of help other ones. So, um, you know, kind of getting into that, you know, a little bit, you know, about some of the unique opportunities. You know, we've talked about some of these things, Nick. What do you see as like, you know, I know you, you just shared a whole lot of examples with us just in that in that last bit there, but, you know, what do you see as some of these unique opportunities, maybe where AI has not been applied yet, maybe could, or just in general where it is that you started seeing some interesting insights that might help those folks who are listening on this podcast to know sort of where the governments are going with regards to adoption of AI. So I think there really is a world of possibilities for the to apply the benefits of AI to the public sector. And I think the most important place to use is going to be using AI to test out concepts before spending money on them. Because when we're spending money, it's not, you know, there's no magic pot of money. It's, it's everyone's tax dollars. Uh, and we need to make, you know, we want to make sure that, that something works. So instead of waiting to build, build something and then seeing if it works, if we can use AI to do that first level of testing virtually, we save not just you know, funding, but we save time. And so we continue to, we, we're going to be able to advance more rapidly. But it also has some ways of looking back and sort of modernizing the government. If you think about regulatory reform and the ways that uh, some agencies are starting to use AI now, if you think, you know, a lot of our old regulations have things that refer to telex machines and facsimiles. So there, there are now cases, and we've got a, actually a guide on how to use AI to update regulations to make sure that those references into technology and products, and frankly, cross-references within the regulations are correct. Um, but also then we, when we go out and we put regulations out, proposed regulations out, we want the public to tell us what we're getting right and what we're getting wrong. We're now able to use AI to also help us identify spam that's coming in. And if you think about that, that means that we're then able to spend more time actually listening to citizens and to Americans who who have, who want to express their opinions on how the government's operating or how the government can do something better rather than being just buried under, you know, um, spam bots. Uh, we're using it to accelerate hiring, which is, hiring in the federal space is a challenge. Um, I think it's uh, when I talk to my counterparts at other agencies, you know, the speed of hiring and then making sure that we're recruiting the right people are challenges we continue to face. So the AI really means that the public sector has got an opportunity to leverage tools to deliver better services to the public which is exactly what the public deserves. And smart systems and services that make it easier to interact with the government, uh, whether you're doing business with the government or you're receiving benefits from the government, 
also is going to make it just easier for the public overall to inter- to have trust and faith in the government that they have. Yeah, I mean, we definitely agree. We continue to see AI being applied in a, in a whole variety of different areas. And, you know, you brought up earlier how you're able to take employees and have them who were doing these very repetitive, menial, kind of low-level tasks and remove that from their plate so that they're able to do more of that higher value tasks. And I think that that, at the end of the day, is something that's super critical that, you know, everybody needs to address, whether or not you're in government or private industry. People need to be moving forward and figuring out how can we do either the same amount of work or more with, you know, the the amount of employees that we currently have. And we're excited to dig a little bit deeper into the workforce and how the GSA is helping to, you know, develop an AI-ready workforce force, as well as how you're engaging with private sector in our bonus episode. So for listeners that are listening to this, we encourage you to check out the bonus episode that we'll be doing with Emily as well. You can go to AIToday.live to check that out. And we'll dig a little bit deeper into some of those topics. But Emily, I wanted to end this podcast with a question that we ask all of our guests, because I always love to hear the variety of different answers. As a final note, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations, governments, and beyond? That's such a great question. And I know people who are futurists and they specialize in it, and I'm not one of them. But the one thing I'm certain about is the way we're going to use AI in the future is something that I couldn't even begin to dream of now. But that's also one of the reasons that I love the job I have. Uh, AI is going to allow us to do things better, smarter, and faster, which has always been GSA's mission. We've always been a leader in adapting technologies. We were the first um, to build a government interstate telecom system. We were one of the first agencies to bring in computers. We were the first agency to bring in credit cards. Uh, we were you know, a leader in telework. And actually, I think we were the first major agency to go to mandatory telework in response to COVID. And we're still have about 95% of our employees teleworking. So the, and when I look back on, on that accomplishment, if GSA hadn't been always investing in cutting edge technology and put our resources, be it time, money, people, um, uh, towards you know, towards those technologies in the past, we couldn't be in a scenario that we're in today where things are working so well for the agency. So I think that as we look across the ability in the future for us to collect data across multiple business domains, um, you know, and try improve the quality and validity of of data, that there's going to be an immense value embedded in using you know, the data sets that we have. Uh, coupled with AI and machine learning to really extract value out of good and suspect data sets that would have otherwise remained unused or unexploited due to the just sheer size and volume of that data. It's going to also provide us an opportunity to highlight gaps in data and data quality issues so that decision makers can make the best business decisions and either repair or augment the data that we've got or leave it, you know, as it is, based on its potential, the potential value that can be derived from it. It's also important to, you know, to look at how we structure AI so it provides visibility into the actions referred to as, you know, trustworthy AI, 
And I think two examples would be explain how you got to this answer and maybe a digital identity so that we know which AI program took what action. Yeah, I, th- I think these are really great. I mean, th- that's the great thing about this question about where do you see AI in the future? Because we get we do get all sorts of answers. Some people like to talk about, you know, these visions of autonomous systems. And, you know, some people like to say, well, oh, we'll just be having more chatbots. We'll be talking chatbots. Some people like, no, nope, it's all about the, the stuff you don't even see. You know, it's all these these things that are much more mundane that will be enabled by better use of data, and you won't even really know that there's AI working on it. So it's kind of nice to to get all these perspectives, and that's why we ask. We ask this question all the time. We we never get the same answer twice. I don't think we've ever gotten the same answer twice, uh, which is which is fantastic. We're 170 episodes into this. You'd think that we'd get some repetition here, but then people would be like, ah, you guys are boring, always asking the same question and getting the same answer. But no, no, we we always get different answers. So it's really really thrilled that you're saying that. Um, and, you know, I just want to mention another thing to our listeners here. You know, we, we love getting these insights. And, and as Kathleen referred to earlier, um, we do run conferences where we do get more opportunity to dig deeper into a lot of these use cases and these examples that you might have heard. And every one of our conferences, while they're not specifically targeted to federal, you know, to government or, or industry, they always have three tracks. We ran our Data for AI conference back in September uh, where it was focused on the data side of AI, and we had a, a technology track that focused on the technology side, the industry track that focused on what different folks in industry are doing, and a government track, and we and we focused on specifically what governments are doing, not just here at the federal side in the United States, but also state and local, but of course even internationally. We've had some folks sharing what's happening in different countries, which is a nice way of sort of seeing uh, what, what's happening there and sharing that insight. So I encourage everybody to take a look at it. We have a bunch of conferences that are planned uh, this upcoming year, 2021. And uh, we will be sharing you with them all. And as usual, with everything that we do here, you know, these conferences are free to attend. So you're, you're welcome to to register. We'd love to have you all participate. Our great audience uh, that's part of it. So I uh, just wanted to thank you so much for joining us today on the AI Today podcast, Emily. Uh, just really thrilled that you'll be able to participate. And of course, the upcoming bonus episode, which will be on AI Today Live. But just wanted to thank you so much for sharing your insights here with us on AI Today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us today. And as Ron mentioned, we will list the bonus episode in the show notes, as well as any articles and concepts that we discussed, including a link to our upcoming uh, conference as well. In January of 2021, we're running a machine learning lifecycle for AI conference. So we will be linking to that as well. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyrighted by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. 
As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.